And that has been one of the most profound things about my current existence and the new individual that I am is seeing how Jesus has transformed me day by day by day, always being there, but finally me allowing myself to turn my life over to him. I'd been given free will every step of the way, but when I finally took that free will and I chose him emphatically, he has day by day remolded my life in a tremendous way. Welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and today we have Daniel from the US of A, and uh, very happy to have Daniel on the show. He's got an incredible story of hitting rock bottom and um, essentially finding Christ when he's at his worst, and he transformed his life. And I love, before we started this this episode, we were just having a quick chat about the structure and the rundown and and one thing he, he said, he noted that um, he used to be called Dan, and Dan was his old life. Dan was the, the worldly life before he knew Christ, and um, now he's been transformed, born again, and goes by the name of Daniel. And I just love that, an actual identity shift of totally changing from a child of the world to a child of God. So Daniel, thank you for being on the show. I'm really excited to have your story. And um, yeah, I'm going to let you start your testimony wherever you believe it begins, and um, I'm going to jump in with some questions and um, sort of just let the Holy Spirit lead it. And uh, yeah, so off to you, Daniel. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. And, you know, in line with the name of your podcast, The Jesus Magnet, which I absolutely love that name. Thank you. Um, we are here to share our stories. Our stories connect people. And I pray that there's something from my story that I can shed light on and show how God redeemed me through my story that will resonate with someone else and perhaps um, further along their journey in life, mm. closer to God and and magnetize them to Jesus in that way. So mm. I love the name and I am honored to be here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the Jesus Magnet was a name choice based off uh, making sure that Jesus is the center and that he pulls everything together and that how the Bible talks about um, that he chose us before we chose him, um, that we were essentially pulled towards him first and that he is the, the center of it all and that hopefully this podcast attracts everything Jesus. So that's why we chose the name the Jesus magnet. Yeah. Yeah, that is absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I um so as you mentioned, the old me uh is named Dan. I currently am Daniel, and we see that throughout the Bible um many times with Abram and Abraham and and those sorts of things. And uh it really speaks to the idolization in my early years. My dad was Dan Senior and I was Dan Junior and I idolized my dad uh like a lot of young boys do. But the story of God into my life starts with a uh, small seed that that grew and grew and grew and just blossomed in such a beautiful way. Um, it really starts at the beginning, like the lucky of a, luckiest of us. I grew up in a real white picket fence situation. I had a mom and dad that loved me dearly, 
And to my five-year-old brain, everything seemed fantastic. Um, I remember numerous Bibles throughout our house. My mom was an avid Christian. She uh, insisted that we go to church. My dad was not that way, but he obliged. And uh, it makes the story, as we'll get to over the next tens of minutes, uh, more profound when you find out that uh, my mom was the one that introduced me to the Bible and God. Um, So a little foreshadowing there. But uh, as time went on, we moved from Boise, Idaho to Meridian, Idaho, which uh, at the time were fairly small towns by most people's accounts, but uh, present day they are metropolis areas. It's It's been actually one of the top three fastest growing communities in the United States for about 20 years. And uh, so anyways, uh, moving to Meridian when I was in fourth grade, made it fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And in sixth grade, my life changed dramatically. In the fall of my sixth grade year, um, my parents had really ramped up fighting, uh, very loud verbal fighting. Uh, My mom would actually get fairly violent. And um, my dad, um, he he would often leave holes in drywall and holes through doors with uh, from his fist punching them. And it was it was just it gone from a white picket situation to just a really, really awful situation. Now, they didn't have any physical violence against each other, but it was obvious that something was dramatically wrong. Now, at the time, I didn't know this, but now, and actually I had a meeting with one of my uncles earlier today, and that's a God story in and of itself that occurred today before we record this episode, but he shed some light on the situation because I remember it through a child's eyes, and he remembers it through an adult's eyes. And uh, it had been about three years of my mother using drugs to that point in time. And so this was all coming to a head. And basically, my mother had my father removed from the house. Um, She was able to manipulate the local police department to uh, convince them that she was of no wrong and that he was this big bad wolf sort of guy. And so we were basically stripped of the right to have a father for quite some time. Um, My uncle, who I met with for lunch today, actually, um, from time to time, would ask my mother if we could visit him. And unbeknownst to her, he would actually take us to our dad's house, uh, which was really, really amazing because we missed our father dearly. Well, no longer having my dad at the primary residence of the household, allowed that household to essentially turn into a full drug house. And um, I'm thankful that I was the age that I was and not older because hearing now some of the things that occurred back then, I didn't realize at the time. And had I realized, they would have caused undoubtedly more damage. One of the darker things that happened during this period of time that really laid the foundation for who I was to try and repair in my early 20s was one night I was uh, laying in bed trying to sleep and um, my mother had arranged to get some drugs and her form of payment was uh, very adult. And uh, I heard noises coming through the wall that I, you know, a a 10, 11 year old should not hear. And I remember at that point in time thinking not, not being upset, but thinking, oh, so sex is is not really a value. It's it's more of a hug or it's more of a handshake. 
oh, okay. And so it was like a learning moment for me, a really disturbing learning moment. Yeah. And those incidences unfortunately continued and they culminated um, one day coming home from school. I came to the house and I was locked out. I couldn't get into the house and I couldn't break in through a window. It was like the house was boarded up like a military base. I, I just could not get into my own house. Nobody was there. And my dad had rented an apartment about a mile away at that point in time. Now, this is a in the spring of my sixth grade year. So about six months has passed. So I walk the mile to my dad's house and he's living in a threeplex apartment and he wasn't there, but the apartment next to him was the owner of the triplex, the threeplex, and recognized that something was wrong and let me into his apartment. And hours later, at the end of my dad's probably 16-hour shift at work, I hear his old truck drive up. And it was like a movie. I came out the door and he wasn't expecting to see me as he shut the door of his truck. But we looked at each other and we both started bawling. And it was like slow motion, like a movie, like us running together. Um, and it was it was one of the most beautiful events of my life. I needed my father so much. And he was largely unaware of what had been occurring over the last six months as he did everything he could to to see his son and daughter, my younger sister. In fact, that was one of the first things that he said. He said, where's your sister? And I said, dad, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is I, I went to the house and nobody was there and I couldn't be let in. And now here I am. So we essentially hunted for my sister that evening at about two in the morning in another suburb of Boise, we found my sister at a drug house and um, we basically broke in through the front door, went to the room where my sister was, grabbed her and left. And it was about 10 years later when I saw my mom again for the first time. 10 years. Um, About 10 years. Yeah. In fact, my first intimate experience kind of recognizing my mother as even being around was in eighth grade. I went to school one day and I started getting uh, people talking about me and I kind of looked around like, why are people chuckling and pointing at me and looking at me? And that morning, my mom had been all over the local news because she had been uh, arrested from a a meth laboratory and uh, she was taken to prison uh, then. And uh, so that was as close as we got in the next 10 years was me finding out that my mother had been arrested through my peers at school. So um, it was it was right around high school graduation when I saw her again. And it was for a very brief period of time. In fact, as I reached out to you to introduce myself, I kind of made a joke out of it. And I said that um, present day, I'm 38 years old. So present day, I have seen my mother fewer times than there have been new presidents elected in the United States. So that gives you an idea on how uh, our relationship has been very distended since then. Mm. So how how long was she in prison for? Not 100% sure. I think it was a matter of months, not years. But sadly, she has spent most of her life uh, in in drugs. Yeah. So that's uh, within, um, what is it, Uh, rehabs and things like that. But not only that, but falling back into drugs and never being on stable ground has been in total bondage towards drugs. Is that right? 
That's right. She was in a uh, a women's home that was geared towards helping those in recovery for a decent amount of time. But I think most of the years uh, she's been basically getting away with, with doing drugs. Wow. And um, at this point, and I know you sort of did the foreshadow that your mom was the one that introduced you to yeah. the Lord, but um, you're this age, you've got no um, sort of spiritual guidance or any anybody in your life that is a Christian or anything like that? Really, no. Um, I didn't have much of a Christian influence. In fact, most of the Christian influence um, was on my mom's side, and that side really disconnected. Um, and this is the first part of my story where the devil kind of sees me by myself and really decides that he's going to attack. Mm. And how he attacked was around that time in seventh or eighth grade, he told me, he said, you know what, Dan, if your own mother doesn't love you, no one will. Wow. No one will ever love you. It's a lost cause. It's not going to happen. So, and I believe, sorry, Daniel, when you say that the devil told you this, is this a a thought that entered your mind or did you have an actual voice telling you? No, I'm very blessed. The only things that I've heard audibly in the spiritual world have been from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And I'll kind of get to those a little bit later, but this was a thought that almost as if my brain is a computer and the thought was transmitted through a flash drive. It was like that. Mm, Okay. So I believed it. I believed it instantaneously. And I took that with me throughout high school. And as a young adult, 19 years old or so, I continued to listen to the lie. And I was so depressed that I thought, you know, this is how I'm going to fight my way out of it. And it was a completely illogical choice. It involved a lot of drinking. And I would tell myself that my big problem is with women because a woman hurt me. And so what I'm going to do to get out of this situation is I am going to try and have sexual encounters with young women of my age, 19, 20 years old. And if I can get them to essentially have sex with me, that will be the approval that I need to fill the void and convince myself that I'm not worthless and that I can be loved. Mm. So in my heart, I was trying to prove the devil wrong. Of course, at this time, I didn't recognize it was the devil attacking me. Um, And the way I went about it was terribly. It was awful. And Everything in this life happens for a reason, and this story is a beautiful one as it concludes. But I wish I would have recognized at a younger age how ridiculous that thought process was because it never worked. I would I would have those encounters, and it would be worse, and I would try to do it again. And as many have said... I met the definition of what a lot of people call insanity. I tried the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. This ended up, actually, that started before pornography. Most people get into pornography first, and then that's sort of your next step. For me, it was backwards. So then I got into pornography, and then I met my first wife, and I brought pornography into our marriage. And this has been a long time. We actually dated for close to 10 years 
before we got married. And that basically that entire time I was snared by pornography and it entered our marriage and it certainly did not help our marriage. Now we, we married not off biblical principles. We lay, we married off of physical attraction to me. She was gorgeous. And, um, that's what I fell for. And again, I'm falling into that same pattern where I think something about that is going to solve the situation and it, and it doesn't. And so, uh, I respect this woman greatly present day, but we were not two peas in a pod. We were not meant to be. Uh, we did have a daughter through the process who is my love and joy to this day. She's in first grade now and uh, she is just amazing. And so I recognize that God's work for us to be together was for our daughter to be born. But sadly, our marriage did end in divorce. And at that time, I would label that part of my life as rock bottom. And it's not that long ago. That was the summer of 2019. And during that period of time is one of the first instances where I felt like I heard God audibly. And as I'm recounting my life and seeing where things have led, I pray to God and I tell him, you know, God, I've tried it my way 176 times and it do- it just doesn't work. My way is just a mess no matter what I try to correct, it just doesn't work. And so you know what? It's yours. My life is yours. I completely and utterly surrender my life to you. You do with it what you wish. I'm going to do things your way from this way on because my way just simply does not work. And I felt like he asked me what man I wanted to be. Um, Almost as if I was going to write a letter to my 45 or 50 year old self and get a letter back telling me the path to follow and and what I wanted to be known for and what I wanted to do with my life for my daughter who was just about to turn two years old at that point in time. And that was the month of July. And I don't remember working that month. I did, but I don't remember anything about that month other than fervently writing letters to myself writing letters to my older self, pretending to write letters back and just trying to figure out what's, what's the point asking myself some really deep philosophical uh, questions. Like, why are we here? What's my purpose? Uh, Why do I matter? What value do I bring to others? And really trying to, from scratch, taking myself all the way down to the foundation, recognizing that my foundation was extremely broken and in need of repair and ripping out the falseness out of my foundation and rewriting it with truth. And so that clearly involved opening the Bible, but also invited the opportunity for me to write these letters to myself and really do as best a job I could to lay a proper foundation and describe what my goals were and who I wanted to be. Wow. And in that process, I'm going through a divorce, right? And we have a beautiful daughter in the process. And that divorce process ended up being 18 months. And so here in July, I'm about two months into it. And so as I'm turning my life over to Christ and surrounding myself with the proper people, I still have about 16 months of battle, um, specifically court battle, to go through, not knowing that that is about to be my upcoming life. Mm. 
Thankfully, and perfectly timed as God always is, he was by my side by telling me truth through his Bible and sending me to meet the right people and the right books of motivation to make sure that I remained level-headed during that time. And had I not had him in my life, um, there's a very strong possibility that I would have been suicidal. I had actually been suicidal about 10 years prior to that. And this is all from not handling issues that started in my sixth grade year with my parents divorcing. So as I continue to conclude this divorce process and build myself up and learn the path that God has for me, um, I, I don't pray to find a wife. I don't pray for any of that. I'm planning to spend the rest of my life alone, uh, just me and my daughter, and I pray how I'm going to be the best father I can possibly be. And that is truly all that mattered to me at that point in time. Uh, at this point in time, professionally, I had begun teaching anatomy and physiology at a local college and um, remember bits and pieces of that. But that part of my life was mainly my relationship building with God. At the time, I had watched a movie that you can currently find uh, online, and it's called The Heart of Man. And this movie is about sexual addiction and I watched it and I just weeped. I just weeped due to the experience that I'd had and really repented at that point in time on the pain that I had caused and the pain that I had transmitted from pain caused to myself. And the trouble with trauma is that you start with a pure person. I was a pure little boy and my mother inflicted trauma on me. And then I took that trauma and I inflicted it on someone else. And I don't know how the story continues, but often it's a repetitive pattern. And so I felt immensely remorseful for my behavior and what I'd participated in. I never took any drugs. I certainly drank my fair share of alcohol, but my sin was sexual sin. That was my addiction. And it was about that time that I gave up pornography completely and for me, it was a very, very much a cold turkey experience where I just stopped and didn't didn't look back. And as I was praying to God and thinking about my relationship with him, this movie hit me at a timely place. There's a point in the movie where a youth pastor who also struggles with sexual sin is uh, recounting a vision that he had. And he talks about being in prison and sitting down at the lunch table in prison. And he looks over to his right and he sees Jesus in line getting lunch. And Jesus turns around and walks directly to him. He sits down and they have this wonderful half hour conversation while they enjoy their meal. And Jesus begins to get up and begin to turn around and he stops him and he says, Jesus, will you eat with me again? He says, of course I will. By the way, the door's over there, and it's unlocked, and it's open. Come knock, and you will find me. Wow. So what was depicted in this movie, Heart of Man, was what I was struggling with. And I realized that that youth pastor, being told that he could have lunch with Jesus anytime he wanted, and that the door was open, it made him realize that he was trapped in his own prison. Mm. And at that same moment in time, it made me realize that I was doing the exact same thing. And as I began to ponder it deeper and deeper, I really began to think of trauma as somebody stabbing you with a knife 
but they only do it once and they leave the knife within you. And trauma then manifests itself as you removing the knife and sticking it back in over and over and over again. Because a lot of times it only takes one event to be traumatic, but then we continue the trauma with our thought patterns thereforth. Mm. So even though my mom hurt me very badly when I was in sixth grade, I had done the work of the devil over the next 20, 25 years, continuing the perpetuation of that trauma in myself. And it was an incredibly powerful moment because I realized I had the keys. I had the power. I had the knife. I could just drop it. I could just drop it. And the key to dropping it was forgiveness. Yeah. Around this. Go ahead. No, I was just saying like that's so true is, um, you know, I'm just thinking back on in my own life um, and a a quote that one of my pastors said, I'm sure he got it from somebody else as well. Um, He said, you know, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And um, exactly. Yeah, you just it. And that's that's the whole thing that Jesus stood for um, was making sure that we don't have any unforgiveness uh, not just in our, in our own lives, but towards each, each other, and that it, it's so important and imperative to the gospel where he says, you know, um, if you can't forgive your brother, then how do you expect the Father to forgive you? And it's, um, yeah, it's pretty deeply rooted in Christianity, but it, it shows psychologically how much we need to actually understand forgiveness and be okay with forgiving people. And it's not about being right or, or winning. It's um, about being set free. And that's yeah. exactly how you're putting it now. And it's, it's so true. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And like the Bible says, um, I did not have eyes to see and I did not have ears to hear. Mm. But at the point of watching that movie, my eyes opened and my ears opened. And things that I had not been able to understand in the Bible previous, like many of the parables, I began to understand. And to not gloss over a very impactful moment, I'll go ahead and briefly rewind about seven years, let's say. Seven years prior, I was a cable technician. I was installing cable TV in the local area. And I walked into a home and a very sweet woman asked me how I was doing And I could not have been more melancholy about it. I could not have been more just, I don't care that I'm here. I don't even frankly care that I'm alive. Why are you asking me these questions? And she proceeded to basically be my therapist for the next hour as I worked throughout her home. And long story short, as I was beginning to leave, she says, can I give you a gift? And I said, sure, I don't care, fine literally just like that. And she said, I'm going to need your address. And I think had I been right-minded, I would have probably thought, well, this is kind of weird. I'm not going to give some stranger my address, but I didn't care. So I gave her my address. A few weeks later, a book arrives in my mailbox and the title of it is Forgiveness. And I, I told this woman about my mother and every deep, dark secret I had, much like I'm telling today. And so it was right on point. Trouble is I put it on my bookshelf and it remained on bookshelf after bookshelf after bookshelf for seven years back on track seven years forward i find this book and i open it for the first time and inside the front cover is a beautiful note from this woman 
that says, Daniel, my heart breaks hearing your story. And I think that you should turn to chapter 18. I think that 18 probably has the best message for your situation. And 18 really sink its teeth deep into how to forgive. And to this day, that is the only chapter I've read, but I read it then and there in one sitting. And I cried like a baby, just absolutely cried like a baby. And in prayer thereafter, I said, I don't feel like I can forgive. Lord, please give me the strength to at least fake it until I make it. Uh, Give me the strength to forgive so I can move on with my life. And I did. And every day since then, forgiveness has become more real in my life. And that has been one of the most profound things about my current existence and the new individual that I am is seeing how Jesus has transformed me day by day by day, always being there, but finally allowing me or not allowing me, but me allowing myself to turn my life over to him. I'd been given free will every step of the way. But when I finally took that free will and I chose him emphatically, he has day by day remolded my life in a tremendous way. Also in this movie, Heart of Man, there's a quote by a man named Dan Allender out of the Seattle, Washington area. And he says, without the ability to say no, yes has no meaning. In other words, God could easily come down and cause all our tongues to confess and all our knees to bow. In fact, one day that will happen as we know, but he doesn't. He provides us a choice to make so that we can emphatically choose yes to choose him and love him in a fraction of a way that he loves us. Mm. And it makes that love meaningful in a way that it wouldn't be had he just cracked a whip and said, you are my servants. You must say yes. You don't have a choice to say no. So so I have in fact... (laughs) I have emphatically said yes every day of my life since then and have truly, truly been transformed. When I talk about my past, I talk about it in reference to Dan Miller, not Daniel Miller. I really feel like I died. That old flesh passed away. And you wonder what are some of the fruits of the Spirit or what are some of the things that confirm that you feel like you've been saved and you're on the path to sanctification. These are questions that I asked prior to my conversion. Well, there's a number of things, and they are specific to my life. But one, what did I just admit to you that I valued so dearly when I was 20? And that was the female form, sexual activity of the flesh. Do I value it now? Well, yes, with my wife. But I don't look at women the way that I used to look at women. And if you would have told me at 20 that that would be something I would experience, I would have told you you were crazy. If you would have told me, for those of you that are football fans, if you would have told me that in my 20s, I was Joe Namath, who was a quarterback for the New York Jets and was known to be very promiscuous, and I would turn into Roger Stallback, who was also a quarterback during that time for the Dallas Cowboys, and most famously quoted that he enjoyed sex just as much as Joe Namath did. He just enjoyed it with one woman. That's me. I look at my wife as the most beautiful person on the planet, and I am attracted to her insanely, and I just don't have that eye for anyone else. If you would have asked me how, okay, great, that's one example, Daniel, what else? Well, as you would imagine, in my early 20s, there was a lot of alcohol involved. Do I drink beers today? Yeah, they're just not as appealing. 
just not as appealing to me. I'll have one here and there, maybe while watching a football game or talking with my dad or something like that. But I don't drink an 18 pack anymore. You know, my life is just significantly different and my desires are different. I'll give you one more example. If you have an issue with gambling, let's say, and you recover from gambling, it's probably not a good idea unless you're a drastically different person for you to go play poker with your buddies on a weekly basis, just as it would probably not be a good idea for me to look at pornography again, or even be anywhere close to that, right? Mm. But when you have the Lord on your side, you can do things, and I'm not suggesting that we take our Bibles and we go to the strip club and preach there, um, but you can go to that poker table with your buddies and you can have a significantly different experience because you look at the situation differently. You don't look at it as an opportunity to gamble. You look at it as an opportunity to share the good news with a group of individuals that desperately need it. Amen. So I have taken it upon myself to give myself a challenge about a year ago. And it would start it off as a 30-day challenge. And I told myself, I said, I am sick and tired of this smartphone. It goes everywhere I go. And I have this electronic leash. And I said, you know what? If I can take my smartphone with me, I can take my Bible with me. And so for the next 30 days, I said, anywhere my smartphone goes, my Bible goes also. And that month I had a poker tournament. And so where did it go? It went with me to the poker table. And boy, did I get some strange looks, but you know what? Had some amazing (laughs) conversations with some individuals that I never thought possible. And they would not have been possible if that that. book was not there. Amen. Oh, that's awesome. I am thankful to say that that 30-day challenge turned into a 60 and a 90 and now is just part of what I do. Yeah. So people who know me, they know underneath my left arm, there's going to be a Bible as I walk to where I'm going. And as I've planted myself where I am, it's going to be close to me. There's a Bible literally a foot and a half to my left right now. There's a Bible in every room in this house. There's a Bible in every car we have. And when I exit that vehicle, it goes with me to wherever I'm going. And I'm not saying that to be pompous or to say like, start this challenge with me or be trendy or any anything like that. I'm making a point that... For me, with sexual sin and pornography specifically, is it accessible on your phone? Yeah, that's part of the problem with pornography these days is it's so accessible. So if I can take that device that can be so sinful and and misused as a tool, I need to have the armor of God with me as well. Mm. And for me, it wasn't enough to say that I had a Bible app on the phone, but I wanted a physical Bible with me. So I literally felt like I was carrying my shield into battle everywhere I went. So those are just a few examples of how my life has changed. And when I look back, they are significant, drastic changes, which is why I go by Daniel, because I'm not Dan anymore. I'm literally a new human being. My interests and desires are in Jesus, nothing else. And I can assure you that was not the case 10 years ago. So that is more or less my testimony As it continues to go on day by day, the Lord has blessed me with a wife. The Lord has blessed me with another daughter. And next Tuesday, we find the gender out of our next child. And so I have been, my, my life is an absolute miracle, an absolute, absolute blessing. And just for a moment to recount the glory of God real quick, 
there's a story within there with my wife getting pregnant. Um, my wife will not care that I share this with you. I have her full permission, but she was anorexic for 15 years. And so she went 15 years without a menstrual cycle. When we got married, she was doing everything she could to get that menstrual cycle back. And we were trying for a child for about nine months. And in that nine months, she hadn't had a menstrual cycle. So we go to the doctor. The doctor says, I want to put you on this man-made birth control because it'll restart your cycle. We come home. We're praying about it. We don't want to go this route, but we want to do what's in her best interest for her health. So I say, I'm going to work. I'll stop by the pharmacy on the way and I'll pick up the prescription. So I leave. I'm in line at the pharmacy. My wife texts me and she said, my period just came. Wow. <laughs> she had fell, she had fell to her knees and begged God that she didn't have to rely on a man pharmaceutical that God would provide her his way towards being a healthier person. And if it was his will for her to conceive a child and she had her period moments later. Oh, I love that. We were, preg <laughs> we were pregnant 30 days later and our daughter is now eight months old and we are pregnant again. And that is all glory to God in the life that he has given to us, which is a gift, nothing more, nothing less than incredible incredible gift that's amazing wow <laughs> that is absolutely incredible daniel man um i do want to know um i've just written down a note here i'd love to know what your bible translation is your favorite one that you use yeah yes sir thank you for asking uh i personally uh, am an esv an english standard version guy um but i do dabble in the nasb and I do dabble in the LSB, which is a newer one, Legacy Standard Bible. Uh, this might be a good quick 30-second lesson to teach those that don't know. Translations are built on a spectrum, and their principles, those would be like your new living translation. And there are those that are translated as occult to read. Those would be your King James your English standard and those sorts of things. And there is uh, there are some versions like the New International Version, which are sort of in the middle. So I like to stay closer to the word-for-word -word side of things, and I do enjoy the English standard. I do dabble in the NIV if there's something that I don't feel like I'm understanding, mm -hmm. so I can get a little bit more of that thought-for-thought. Thought. But that's why I landed on the ESV. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I would definitely agree with you there with um, your choice. Um, so your mother, I'd love to know sort of if there's been a reconnection um, with your mother or, and restoration there or um, how's she going? It's a great question. Uh, how she's going, unfortunately, I don't know. Um, my, To the best of the knowledge I can acquire, I think that she still is in the midst of her drug use. Um, but two years ago, I, as again, as I told early in the story day by day, I'm, I'm saying that I forgive and I'm believing it more every single day. And so a period of time, six months or so after that, I call out to this organization that she was affiliated with, that she was in a, um, a recovery group for women. And I say, Hey, I'm looking for my mother and I give the information and uh, she says, well, you know, we can't give that information out. And I said, I know. And I respect that. 
but here's my information. If you know this person, send them my information, please. So I hang up. About six months later, I get an email from my mother and she says, I've been given this information and uh, the Lord put it on my heart to reach out to you. And so I am. And so I typed up a, a letter in email and I said, the gist of it was this. I said, if Jesus Christ can forgive me for the awful things that I have done, why can I not forgive you for what you have done? And so therefore, I want you to know in my deepest of hearts that you are forgiven. And it was met with a few really nice emails, uh, but that was it. And I haven't heard from her since. I did reach out to her actually about a week ago through the same email. And at the same time, I reached out to my uncle, which is her brother, who I had lunch with today, who I previously had not seen for 20 years. And I, I do believe that the Lord is bringing our paths back together. And I do feel it on my heart that at some point in time, her and I need to have coffee or lunch, and I need to look her in the eye and say the same thing. Not because it'll do anything for me, because I know that at this point it is real and I do forgive her, but because it could potentially release her from her own bondage. Mm. And I think it's more powerful than just giving an email. Mm. Uh, I need to look at her in her eyes and tell her that despite what she's gone through and despite what she did to me and my sister, that she's forgiven. And I truly want nothing more for her, who again, if we go back to the beginning of the story, she was the one that had the Bible in the house, right? She was the one who planted the seed initially. And if I told you that story backwards, she'd probably be the last person that you would have expected mm. for the Bible and the message and the seed to be planted by. So if there's any way that I can come back into the picture, into the story, and remind her of the wonderful grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I want every bit of that opportunity. And um, and the Lord doesn't make mistakes. And if that's meant to happen, it will happen. Man, that is... Oh. I just love that, man. Every part of your story has just gone from uh, glory to glory with grace piling up on grace. Um, I'd love to know if you've got any encouragement or advice for some of our listeners that might have been going through similar struggles or facing similar challenges with abandonment, with um, drugs in the family, um, all that sort of thing, even divorce and, and hitting rock bottom. Um, just anything that sort of spikes spikes uh, what the Holy Spirit's telling you. Um, would love to hear some advice for some of our listeners. Yeah, that's a great question. What comes to mind for me is that it's not about me. It's about the people um, that I interact with. And when I interact with them, am I forecasting what it means to be a Christian? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is not yes, then there's a problem. Um, and so that includes forgiveness and that includes doing things that are selfless, uh, not selfish. Mm. And in that, I remind myself all the time that it's not about me. It's about my wife. It's about my daughter. It's about the person I meet walking down the street. Mm. And so having a heart that the Holy Spirit highlights over and over to remind myself, not, not as a pity thing, not as me to say, oh, it's not about me. I'm not important. No, God loves you, and that that makes you important. There, there's nothing cooler than that. When you read God's story in the Bible and you realize that he can count the numbers on your head and that he loves you, and even if you were the only person on earth, he would love you 
just as much as he loves you today. You, you think about that one person on earth. Okay. All right. I'm the only option he could love. But you think about all of men in human history and all the men of current history, and he still loves you to that capacity, to a capacity that you can't fathom. It's unimaginable. I heard a near-death experience story not too long ago where the woman said there was no room in the presence of Jesus for fear. There was no room in the presence for anything other than God's love because it's it had a physical presence. It was so thick that you couldn't even think another thought that didn't have to do with God's love. He loves us that much. So when you say it's not about me, it's not a sad thing. You've already been told the greatest compliment you could be told. It's about sharing that love and being a vessel for that love for other individuals. So I remind myself that all the time, that it truly is not about me. And how can I be a light in this dark world? And how can I share my testimonial? How can I share the message of a snippet of my story, whatever it may be, to someone else today? Because it truly is about bringing people to God and not doing anything other than that that would deter. So in that, you must respect other people's free will, right? If I go to somebody and I say, uh, this is Jesus Christ. He loves me. He loves you. You've got to be a Christian now, right? I'm not respecting that person's free will. In fact, they may have been close to a redemptive story with God, and now they may spend the rest of their days not subscribing to the idea of Christianity because of something you did. And you better believe that's something that you'll have to account for uh, if that is your selected choice. But by being a Christian who highlights and starts with love and shares their story, we can begin to have people look at us and say, well, clearly this person does not think of themselves first. They're thinking of others first. I'm going to go ask them a question like, what's going on? What's your secret sauce? What's Where do you get your 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 light from? And, and that just flings open the door to have these sorts of conversations with people. Wow. Yeah, so good. Man, um, I've got probably five or six amazing snippets to use from your incredible testimony, Daniel. So I'm very, very happy that you came on the Jesus Magnet podcast. But before we finish, I would just love to know, is there any final remarks or um, bits of your story that you'd like to share before we finish up? Yeah, you know, um, probably, uh, I suppose probably about eight years ago, I was coaching. I was in football. Um, I mentioned that I teach anatomy and physiology. Um, my profession by trade beyond that is a strength and conditioning coach. And I work with all sports, uh, including football and rugby and soccer and all sorts of stuff. And um, I worked underneath a football coach who I love dearly. And when he was mentoring me and bestowing some of his advice to me, he gave me probably the best advice that any human has ever given me. And it's super simple. And I think it's something that all your listeners can take. And that is assume good intentions. And in our lives, we so often hear the way something is said from somebody else and we take it the wrong way. Or here's a crazy one. We receive a text message from someone that we perceive the wrong way, right? Like that's never happened to anybody. I mean, text is one of the worst ways you can convey emotion. I suppose that's why they invented emojis. But nevertheless, whatever that text or that 
message is, no matter how it's transmitted, if it comes especially from somebody you love, a family member, if you can hold steadfast to assume good intentions, it, it takes care of so many of the problems that we have with communication, especially with our loved ones, which is critical because have you ever noticed that the people that you have the capacity to be meanest to are the people that you're closest to. And that goes all the way back to yourself, right? So think about the deepest, darkest, meanest things that you've ever said to yourself. Okay. Now think if you've ever said anything similar to that to to another human being, and you would most undoubtedly say, no, no way I would ever say that to another human being. Well, why do we say that to ourselves? If we go a ripple further and we think about our husband or our wife and the things we've said to them and think about the meanest thing we've ever said to them, would we say that to a complete stranger? No, we wouldn't. And why is that? Why do we hurt the people that are closest to us most of all? That sort of goes away when you subscribe to assuming good intentions. And so I I wouldn't say I live by that, but I remind myself of that advice often. Man, that's, that's so true. You know, every time you send a text message or you receive one um, and the person isn't trying to be confrontational or anything like that, but you just read it the wrong way sometimes. You just, it's like uh, patting a cat backwards. And uh, yeah, yeah, sometimes we have it's the wrong... It's a great way to describe it. Yeah, we're not trying to. <laughs> yeah, but assume good intentions. I love that. That is such good yeah. advice. And um, yeah, I'm definitely going to adopt that into my life hey thank you daniel so much for joining us on the jesus magnet podcast i do just want to double check because you and i met through the christian podcast community on facebook do you have a podcast Daniel? yes i do um i have two actually would you I... like to share what they are and um make sure you send me the links for those and i'll make sure they're in the description oh i i feel blessed to do so thank you Yeah. So briefly, I'll mention again, I'm an anatomy and physiology professor. And so on Mondays, we release a podcast called Biblical Anatomy, and we're teaching anatomy biblically, pretty simple. On Wednesdays, we release a podcast called Discipleship Conditioning, and that essentially is a Bible study. And we are currently in Matthew 16, and we started in Matthew and we work our way through one chapter of the Bible every week. Awesome. We do Bible studies ourselves on a Tuesday physically at a, in New Zealand, and that's exactly how we do it as well, one chapter a week, slowly going through it. Um, well, thank you, Daniel. Uh, you're an incredible man of God. I feel absolutely blessed to have you on our show. And for our listeners, make sure you go check out Daniel's podcast. Uh, both of them uh, get deeper into the word and understand your biblical right anatomy. You. What's that? I, I just want to echo the statements you just said right back at you. I mean, uh, we met not too long ago, but I've been listening to your podcast to kind of invest myself into it in the meantime. And you have some incredible stories that have been shared. And uh, right back at you, brother, you're a strong version of what it means to be a child of God. And I am blessed to know you. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. I appreciate that. Uh, these testimonies are just amazing people uh, in the world that God has radically changed. I am just happen to have the microphone and be an honored guest to be able to record them. So yeah, thank you for being on the show. I um, hope you listeners really enjoyed this episode of the Jesus Magnet podcast and we'll catch you next time. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Jesus Magnet Podcast. If you enjoyed this, make sure that you connect with us. Find us on Facebook, on Instagram, and if you want to support us, be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on the Jesus Magnet.